There's voices in the well. Who is it? It's just the pod people. America's premier horror podcast. I'm the hypedrologist, Matisse Van Rosso. Ooh, nice. I am going to avoid H.P. Lovecraft's history at all costs. I'm Ben Sheets. Hey, guys. I'm a, a bad impression of Tommy Chong, uh, and I'm having a bad trip. It came from space, man. It most certainly did, man. For real, though, I'm Cleveland Mosher, as y'all know full well. Well, we're back again with one of our most anticipated films in a very, very long time. Uh, We'll waste no time jumping into our review for Color Out of Space, the new 2020 film directed by returning master Richard Stanley, his first film in 20 years or so. Yeah, after living in the woods in seclusion for about 15 years, he's finally <laughs> peeked his head out. That's right. Uh, the The film stars uh, Nicolas Cage, Jolie Richardson, Madeline Arthur, uh, Elliot Knight, and uh, Tommy Chong, as Cleveland uh, alluded to, <laughs> uh, which was a a really fun uh, casting choice. Wonderfully unexpected. Very happy to see um, anything. The film is based on the H.P. Lovecraft short story by the same name about a meteorite that crashes into a remote farm and starts to uh, change and mutate the land and life around it. I have something I have to admit real quick. I went into this movie totally under the impression this was a Panos Cosmatos film. <laughs> We've really? we told you yes. multiple times that this was Richard Stanley. Yeah. Well, I forgot, and I was surprised when I saw the opening credits. I, I, well, I just figured it psychedelic, lots of magentas, Nicolas Cage Nicolas was in Cage. it. Like, I, I, yeah, I just made well, a lot of associations. That's, that's a good point to bring up off the bat, because it is uh, uh, produced by uh, SpectreVision, which is Elijah Wood's company, and and no they did produce Mandy. There, there's why. definitely uh, a little bit of crossover. But yeah, let's talk about uh, let's talk about Richard Stanley for a second before. We yeah. Get into the film. Uh, well, first off, I do want to mention that Richard Stanley mentioned that this may be the first in a trilogy yes, of uh, Lovecraft, Lovecraft movies. Films. Oh my but god! Knowing how Richard Stanley planning for movies to. <laughs> successfully release and them maybe not releasing on the same schedule uh, makes me a little skeptical. If you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, he was originally going to do an adaptation of uh, The Island of Dr. Moreau. Now, there's a documentary about that, right? Yes. There's a fantastic documentary out there called Lost Souls, all about this. Um, But essentially what happened is it turns into a sort of everything that can go wrong did go wrong situation in the classic style of Lost in La Mancha or Hearts of Darkness where... You know, everything on the production was just hellish and uh, (laughs) much like Hearts of Darkness, uh, that was very much partially due to Marlon Brando being such an eccentric. uh, And Val Kilmer being virtually impossible to work. Oh, yes, exactly. Uh, Um, Yeah, this movie, this adaptation of Dr. Moreau did come out, but uh, it's directed by uh, John Frankenheimer. Who's a great director, but he went into it fairly cynical as a cash grab. I mean, yeah, it's it's pretty it's a pretty disastrous uh, story in and of itself, because, I mean, they were like halfway into the production 
production of Richard Stanley's version of this film, and the studio decided that they didn't like the direction it was going and fired Richard Stanley mid-production and then brought John Frankenheimer in to uh, take his place, who, uh, yeah, was sort of inherently inheriting a shit show at that point. A presumption, if you will. A presumption. That film is a fucking absolute mess. It's terrible. Well, it, we should mention, too, that it was shot in the middle of the Australian jungle. Yes. And uh, after... Richard Stanley got fired. He didn't leave. He just uh, hid in the Australian jungle and spied on the rest of the production. Is that what they call the bush? Yes. Yes. At a certain point, getting into costume and acting like an extra. Yes, he ended up back on set as one of the... Uh, in disguise, right? In, well, yeah, I, I mean, as one of the, the half-human, half-animal, you know, beasts on the island of Dr. Moreau. Uh, yeah, he he stole a costume and uh, ended up as an extra in a few scenes uh, while he was spying on the disaster that was uh, originally his uh, his dream project. In uh, There's a lot of parallels between uh, Alejandro Yodorovsky and his uh, unproduced adaptation of Dune. Dune, Uh, Richard Stanley is uh, interviewed heavily in that documentary as well. That's where I've seen him before. Yeah. But I would absolutely recommend seeing Lost Souls if you're interested in that story or Richard Stanley. Yeah. Um, He's quite an eccentric character. He's very uh, goth in a weird way, like, in a unique way. Like Crocodile Dundee guy. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it's really one of a kind, honestly. A very a very weird, eccentric He's artist. gotten really fat since then, it seems like. Yeah. Um, which is funny, because he's just as eccentric. Nowadays, he almost looks like Meatloaf, in a way. A little bit, although Meatloaf now looks less like Meatloaf, <laughs> because Meatloaf got really skinny. Anyway, this is a, a tangent within a tangent. Extremely. Off let's the work rails. our let's work our way back so up much the ladder. For jumping right into color out of space. You know, I, I think it's important uh, some of the context behind Richard Stanley yeah. to really get oh, yeah, the cover out of sure. this film because his uh, fingerprints are all over this movie. Yeah, and after the the Doctor Moreau thing, he did not make a movie again until this one. Fifteen years, right? More, more so, like almost. Jesus Christ! I, I think, guess I think in that interview after the film, he said fifteen years. Until he got reacquainted with the film industry, but The Island of Dr. Moreau came out in 96. In fairness, he has been trying to make this movie since 2011. So even though it didn't go into production until uh, the beginning of 2019, he has been shopping it around and trying to get somebody to pick it up. So it would be 15 years since in in that period. But anyways, uh, the movie itself, where should we begin with this one? Well, there's a color, and it comes out of space. Uh, <laughs> yep, great, uh, great start. That's I think I think that's where we should begin. Well, uh, I you know, at the beginning, right, right. Just a, a little bit of additional context. Uh, the color out of space was H.P. Lovecraft's favorite of his own stories that he ever wrote. Oh, is that right? Yeah, and it is one of the most popular and the only one that gained any sort of legitimate acclaim during his lifetime. 
Still not very much. I think he got it got published in a magazine and he got paid twenty five dollars for it, which uh, adjusting for inflation would be like three hundred and fifty bucks, something like that. This one has been adapted multiple times. Uh, I've never seen any of the adaptations. There are two European adaptations from the last decade that I was not aware of that seem to be pretty good uh, from what I've heard. Considering that, like, I'm trying to imagine an H.P. Lovecraft where the fame got to his head now. <laughs> I mean, probably for the best that didn't happen. Almost. Oh, little, there's no doubt. I mean, I think he still would have uh, would have been a, a uh, horrible recluse his well, whole life regardless. Yeah. Well, I think if not more so, probably would have made him like somehow a worse person. Well, we're not here to talk about the man specifically. Yes, because fa- that'll get into Harry. Famously problematic yes. uh, yeah, yeah. author H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. Side footnote, H.P. Lovecraft. Pretty problematic person, just uh, front to back. But uh, his work has been hugely influential in the horror genre. Uh, I don't think the landscape would be even close to what it is now if not for his legacy. So I personally love his writing. I I mean, I've read most of his stories, yeah, Yeah, for sure. Um, And and it's all a very gaze into the abyss kind of situation. Yeah, fear fear of the unknown. You know, it only makes sense that a man so grabbed by fear in his life yeah, would be such a xenophobe. Would write good whore, mm-hmm. you know? Not to say that doesn't make him less problematic. No, he's yeah. a, he was a piece know? of shit. Like, but, but. like I, I idealize the writing, not idealize the man. You know, usual fare. But anyway, into the film. Yeah, we got to go see a uh, premiere of this that also included uh, a Q&A with Richard Stanley and Nicolas Cage. Hosted uh, by Pat uh, Oswald, of all pre- people. Pre-recorded. We did not see this live. If in, only. In, in, in Durham, North Carolina. They did not come to tour this, but they, they did record the the. LA premiere Q&A so we saw that afterwards um but what what was immediately a good sign to me we'll just go ahead and jump into the movie is that like the the opening credits uh start with a voiceover narration that is literally just an excerpt from the story yeah and uh that I thought was an extremely good sign right off the bat because it shows that there is a knowledge and an appreciation of the source material, which I think is uh, doesn't need to be said that that should be a prerequisite for adapting something. But you'd be fucking surprised. Yeah, honestly. Um, And no, it's super well like narrated by uh, Elliot Knight. And it has me like hoping that if this does become a trilogy that he does like the opening narrations for all of them. I would I would love for like each of those films like this. I wonder if he's going to be by him if he happens to be maybe the uh, linking the character between the three the of them. I think that would be interesting because his character doesn't have an enormous part in this movie. He's sort of like the outsider coming in to like view the the horror that happens and yeah, the, lone- he's the land surveyor. Right, the... he's the the hydrologist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, this is a, uh, a a scenario where, uh, much like Deliverance, this part of the uh, uh, of the river valley is is you know set to be flooded. He's coming to to survey the land and stuff for that. He he sort of ends up being the the one who 
survives to tell the story. Uh, and I like that the story's not really about him. He has he takes a part in it, but it's not he's not important. Right. Which is also the case for the short story as well. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'd forgotten this, but we never actually learned the name of the, the narrator in the original story. And so he's cool. it's the same kind of thing where he's a surveyor investigating this event that happened years before uh, in, in the short story. So you're he's learning all of this secondhand. That's a, a pretty popular way that Lovecraft likes In some to, ways, it almost feels like a Greek chorus, you know, yeah. like he is emphasizing elements of the story while staying in the backseat and not influencing the events too much, but being there enough not to be a, like a deus ex machina or anything yeah. like that. And I think they do a really good job keeping to that idea, especially with the material. He meets the daughter which is the Lavinia. First. Lavinia. Yeah, and, and the circumstances are pretty neat too. Like he he comes across her doing a uh, an arcane ritual on the 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 lakeside, you know, on their family's property, um, not knowing he stumbled onto it. And so there's a fun interaction between the two of them. And she's she has like a white horse with her, and it's just it's it's a it's a really interesting way to 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 start the the film after the bookend. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, it is it is modern day, so it's kind of immediately jarring to see this kind of imagery, and you know. Him walking up in his uh, Miskatonic University shirt, which he wears for the entire movie. I, I loved all the little, like subtle, like not in some cases not subtle at all, like like world building moments where we yeah. see like like references to Arkham and uh, <coughs> like all the other like nearby towns. Which yeah. there's like a like a listing on the news at one point where it throws out like several like Lovecraftian towns. Well, Arkham, yeah, I mean they mentioned Dunwich, and <coughs> I mean Arkham is the nearest town to this farm the the mayor of arkham comes to their farm to once the meteor crashes you know we were hearing ads all the time for her running for re-election yeah because she's um, so busy just trying to keep you know her you know the the joker and killer croc and you know all of them pinned down too. Right. so you know, that's, uh, it's important yeah where's where's batman when you need him i know right in, in I, I just kept case. expecting him to show up in the movie and he never did i was really bummed out the whole witchcraft stuff felt very Richard Stanley. Yes. Knowing him and his aesthetic generally. Definitely writing himself into that character. Some of it felt a little tacked on because of how into it Richard Stanley is. Tacked on, like artificial? Um, like, I don't know if it needed to be in the movie. Like an unnecessary insert. Yeah, like, for example, later in the movie... We get another ritual where she, like, cuts uh, symbols into herself and runes into herself. Right, but yeah. she's reading and the Necronomicon, which was fun. I like that. Yeah, I did. I, 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 I it served no narrative purpose, though, it, really. It didn't. It serves world-building purpose, though. Like, it, it does, like, like from an ambient well, perspective. I, like, the, the, the big part of that, the reason I brought it up is... Uh, one of my biggest problems with this movie is I feel like it could have used a tighter edit. Yeah, and there's I agree. a lot of stuff, especially in the first half, but throughout that I feel like is unnecessary and the pacing suffered because of it. Yeah, in that case, um, let's let's get into the first half. Well, uh, you know that the first act and before we do, why. I do I, I do want to add about the the daughter being a a, a Wiccan character. Uh, why I think that that helps with the world building, even though it's treated appropriately. Uh, cornally mm-hmm. but uh, also like i've met that person of course oh, i yeah. mean we oh, we yeah. all have uh but like you know and the her, person's generally her, corny her so brother, it works and her brother is more of just like an average stoner teenager you know so they mock each other but what i like about 
the fact that her character is a Wiccan because she's kind of our protagonist, uh, her and Nick Cage. But because of her belief in like the spirit world or whatever, she's far more readily willing to uh, accept that what is happening on the farm is supernatural. I, I think that that's uh, a kind of refreshing change from a lot of horror movies. They very quickly are like, hey, there's this weird supernatural alien entity that's come from this meteor and it's doing fucked up things to the farm. There's not too much skepticism. But anyway, uh, what you were uh, moving on to what you were going to say, Cleve? Yeah, well, uh, we uh, we follow uh, Lavinia back to uh, the family house, and we get introduced to the rest of the family, which is uh, uh, of course Nicholas Cage as the patriarch, who sort of plays like a like a like an artsy kind of dad who inherited this property as like his father's farm, which is a pretty important note. They even um, they even mention that they uh, you know came here to get away from the big city, and I, I may. If you'd asked me in my 20s if I'd be living in my dad's farm in the middle of nowhere, I'd have said you were crazy kind and of thing. I really liked that theme that they established right off the bat of, like, getting out. You hear Lavinia at the very beginning, like, talking about how she wants to get out of this small town, like, this, this like, yeah. her fa- off her family's farm. Because, you know, at that age, like, she has, like, no social interaction with anyone else. Like, it's kind of kind of dumb, like, uh, situation from her perspective. And later on, we hear, like, uh, uh, the, the parents talking about, like, how great it is they finally got out of the city. Right. And so, like, and how they're they're on their own little paradise, but it's right, yeah, because they're older and they're trying to settle down. She's young and she's trying to go off and make her own way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and so a- it makes that conflict like uh, really fascinating once the the events really start kicking off and like why they want to leave, why they need to leave, what's holding them there. It, it makes for some cool fodder. Like, yeah, uh, apart from the stoner brother, there was a younger brother as well, uh, Jack, and uh, of course the uh, the mother Teresa as well, who does like like stock exchange stuff on the internet. Yeah, and they they established at the beginning too that she has in the past struggled with or battled cancer. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, which is also a big deal. Right. Well, I mean, it yeah, it's thematically very appropriate cuz the the color acts as a cancer. Uh, yes. you know, uncontrolled mutation and growth that saps the life out of uh, of everything. It is it is a literal cancer. Yep. And uh, interesting to um, how much that I, I, I don't think we can we can talk about this movie like without bringing up Annihilation. Yeah, totally. Well, uh, I mean, Annihilation, both the the film and the book are heavily inspired by Lovecraft and the story. Yes. Uh, specifically. Yeah, and just a foot, I'm just going to just say general footnote on Annihilation. I'm going to bring it up a few more times. It's a little bit more, it's a little bit more apparent in the movie, I think, than the book. Uh, honestly, to Annihilation's credit as far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. but we've talked about that film ad nauseum on the podcast. True, true. Um, my but uh, once we get the intros for all the characters and the family, we get a, know, we, a lot of we, scenes with the family. We, yeah. we do get the inciting incident with when the meteor does hit. And I saw uh, what what did you guys think about that scene? Oh, the the arrival of the meteor is uh, fantastic. I really enjoyed that. Like it cuts between all of the different members of the family in their own room or in their own rooms, like doing their own thing. Like Nicolas Cage and his wife are like having sex for the first time since her operation, like six months ago. The brother is like tracking uh, shit on it's being like uh, Eve or no. He was like he's like on those. NASA's website, like tracking 
tracking the movements of meteorites. Oh, is that asteroids. what he was doing? Yeah. Oh, I thought he was playing like an RTS. Like, no, no, no. Oh, wow. Like, and, uh, but like he's been he's he's been in Dad's dumb. liquor cabinet. You can see he's got a drink, and like Lavinia is like napping fitfully, and and it keeps cutting back, and like you see the glow of like the approaching meteorite, and it's sort of like mentally affecting them all uh, uh, in different ways. Yeah, because you get the vibe that they can't necessarily see it. I, I thought the way that that whole thing was handled was great. I really like the 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 arrival of the meteorite. A lot of the inciting incident stuff. More of my problems come in actually when it gets a little bit less restrained in the second half. Sure. Well, when the meteor, uh, you know, hits, uh, we get some really unrestrained moments but i didn't mind them at the beginning no no for no. example when the the brother is like drooling oh okay or, well you no know, that's that's not necessarily what i or what I mean, or but... or the the small son is like jack freaking out or comatose basically yeah the, there were a couple of like sequences that had that that feeling like if if they had been like portrayed like a little more poorly or if the the, the child actor like wasn't as good it would have felt more like cliche and out of place like when he's like staring at the meteor site and there's like no one out in front of him and like someone asks him hey jack what are you doing and he says like you know looking at my friends or you know the yeah playing with my friends right which is like the most cliche spooky child right the kid always sees the ghosts or whatever like i'm i was i was very surprised that made it like all the way into the final cut i don't know if i was reading the script and i saw like kid says i'm just playing with my invisible friends i thought that was a little uh, bit too much i liked i agree i liked when he was sort of enraptured by the well Mm -hmm. uh, because that is uh, directly out of the source material like the youngest child on the farm does hear like voices in the well that he like talks to so that stuff I thought was okay but the like I definitely didn't find it like like, a problem I'm playing with my friends yeah Mm -hmm. but it's like it's it's worth bringing up like you know it's it's pretty yeah the the film definitely goes over the top in many ways some of which I think are really excellent and some of which I think are less so. I will say right now, like, I love Nicolas Cage in this. I mean, oh, honestly, yeah. Nicolas Cage might be my unironic favorite actor. Just because every, every role he plays, he gives 150%. Right, no, no matter, matter the quality. Yeah, no matter how good metal metal, or bad like, the movie oh, is, yeah. no matter definitely. how good or bad the movie is, you always know that you're at least going to have fun with it. Yeah. Exactly, yep. I mean, let's be clear, too. Like, Mandy, like, that's a masterclass performance. Yeah, well, like, I mean, Mandy is great oh in just God. about every way, but uh, even in something like... Bad uh, Lieutenant. Like, uh, well, that's Werner Herzog, so let's... <laughs> Let, let's not say that that's a bad movie. No, um, just like Cage's performance. Like, yeah, sure. Well, uh, or some, I'm thinking something like uh, Lord of War, which I don't think is a very good movie, but Nicolas Cage is pretty sure. fun in. Or, or Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider. Rider you know? Or Shadow of the Vampire, which... Man, I love Ghost Rider. Y'all can could, y'all could fuck right off about that. <laughs> Shadow of the Vampire like, is a, a great segue because Richard Stanley said that Nick Cage's performance in uh, Shadow of the Vampire. Is that the name of that movie? The Vampire's Kiss. Vampire's Kiss, yeah. Shadow of the Vampire is the the one about the the mockumentary about fucking Nosferatu. Yeah, sorry. The Vampire's Kiss, he said, is uh, his favorite Nicolas Cage performance and that he wanted Nick Cage to deliver that kind of performance in this movie. Wow. How about that? (laughs) Well, oh I, I feel like nowadays, 
everyone is so self-aware that everyone wants Nick Cage to just lean into it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's where he really shines. He's happy to do that, (laughs) like, at this point. But uh, you definitely see it a lot more than you used to. Well, yeah, I mean, Um, also, I don't want to... At this stage of his career, like... I don't want to see Nick Cage in a serious role. I, I mean, would. He's good in adaptation. Like he's I'm, t- I'm talking. In that I'm talking. Movie. I'm talking current Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Even so, I mean, if he wanted to, I think he could do a, a restrained performance. The thing is, people casting him in movies aren't looking yeah. for that, and I don't have a problem with that necessarily. I can't say. I can't say I'm a you Nick know? Cage connoisseur. I do love him most when he's going crazy. I think he has done good serious roles in the past like uh leaving las vegas i think is really good even uh, that one is you know he's pretty crazy it, in that performance too, um, um, well having but, worked on a uh, a project uh, that nicholas cage was also on oh that's uh, true you did yeah, you know, i did i did do that uh i think i think i have the most authority that movie was on netflix in saying uh, and i'm not gonna say which movie it was i, I did do some paintings <laughs> really, for really a movie name dropping um here. and i never watched it uh <laughs> i i, I never watched it's it's uss indianapolis it's the the one with the cg sharks but i've heard it's um, really bad yeah <laughs> uh i yeah I did, I did the paintings uh that are in like the courtroom scene in the background of admirals for it my first like movie gig that's all i've got are, really. are you, are you pulling an alan smithy on this where you don't really want your name attached to it um no i mean it's it's fun it's just fun <laughs> trivia it's more of a gag really that like you know, like, <laughs> i don't think it reflects badly on me in any way i just did some paintings for it sure. and mailed them to the well, set but Speaking of Nick Cage's performance in this, I noticed that every time he got angry and started freaking out, yes. he starts doing Trump. I yeah. turned to you during the movie yeah. and mentioned this. Yeah, like, well, I think you did too, Tease. Like, we no. all were like, well, I was, that way. I, was like, I definitely noticed that he was doing a voice, but I didn't connect it to Trump. He, until he was after. even doing like the hand he motions. You don't know right. say is like, I, it sounds like very specifically like. Colbert's not very good impression of Trump too. Like he does like that weird like nasally sound that like Trump doesn't really have, you know. But like a lot of like impersonators do of him. It was very specific. It's really like, to funny. Me. It's like, like, and I loved it. Like, like it was it was really whack. Because it only because it only comes out like you said, Ben, when he gets angry. Well, he's imitating his father. Is that? Is yeah, that was supposed that? to be like his father's voice. Is like the idea. <laughs> no way, I did not. I get did that not catch up on yes, that. Absolutely. Did, like, like the, okay, okay, so the whole explain. thing with. Okay, so the the meteor has a habit of like breaking down the reality around it and kind of blending things in together right. to become themselves. And early on, during that same conversation that that he has with his wife about like being so glad they got out of the city, another point he brings up as like a running theme is that he's worried about becoming his father. Okay. Yes. And we later also see imagery of his his father like on a portrait like on an old old timey you know image in like, the living room yeah. yeah of like an old farmer man um so this is like his old farmer property he talks about how his father like had this specific attitude i'm trying to remember the, the words exactly but it was like but he does an imitation of his dad at that part that sounds like that voice oh, okay. throughout the rest of the i movie. didn't catch that at all but that's like, pretty funny like, 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 yeah, i can, Trump I can hear his voice <laughs> but he was, yeah he says like something in that scene like i can hear his voice in 
gonna do this thing or whatever and like he does the meh, kind of voice like trumpy voice and then yeah throughout the rest of the like movie like as the meteor starts like changing the personalities of the family he starts becoming his father literally and that's and starts acting like that same miserable bastard i mean i got i got the him becoming his father thing but i didn't make the connection with the voice i thought that was just well, because whenever uh, he I, says something horrible or evil like in the same way his father was he does that voice i saw i saw the father thing as more of very abstract thing rather than so literal so i didn't even recognize that's what he was trying to do necessarily there's also something really stupid and academic i could bring up about how like he's being so influenced by like media when he's like getting hypnotized by the meteor like the the tv is like doing like white noise into his brain yeah yeah, and and whatnot there could be this weird melding of association between like the president being the father of america (laughs) and and him if you want to get like like some really stupid and academic like really like airbrain shit but like i think that's a really stupid funny theory uh that i wanted to bring up also (laughs) i'll take it that like he's becoming his father and like trump is like a miserable it's like america's shitty dad there's some funny you know things there um (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, that is quite an odd reading. I do like the read of he was literally doing his dad, though. I almost wish they had more of that. That is such a literal thing in what seems otherwise very somewhat abstract. You know? Yeah, just because he's doing the like a, uh, yeah. a verbal impression and like you, know you, know, you never see him like in old timey clothes with a pitchfork well, or anything. I would not want that. Either. <laughs> Me neither. I would. <laughs> <laughs> And here's why. <laughs> no. <laughs> Click below to read my entire thesis. No, that that is actually that's an interesting read and and you're probably right. I would like to watch it again at, with that perspective cuz like I will say as as funny as it was, the dumb voice did take me out of it. It kind of broke my immersion a little bit and maybe with that added context it'll, it'll No, and even knowing that for me it broke my immersion a little <laughs> yeah, bit. It's like, the voice is so stupid. Well, yeah, and it's like a, like just just trump like it breaks the immersion and everything that's so true. like you know that, that's another reason i also saw it as like a weird choice but i i don't hate it and it was quite amusing so that's sort of like I mean, that that covers like all the the effects of the meteor on nicholas cage's character yeah. um, beyond his actions i did really like that it affects them all in distinctly different ways uh it it definitely made it feel more fresh from scene to scene and kind of like seeing those ways that the color was interacting with each person melded with each other. So I guess, yeah, we can just talk about the meteor in general. Yeah. Um, like in the, the varied effects of it. This film does a lot of stuff that plays with time. And the varied effects. Effects. Did I say... <laughs> no, no, no. The varied effects of the meteor, and I'm also saying the varied effects. visual oh, that effects. Are, oh, yeah. Because... Ew, how clever. <laughs> what good word play, which is so splendid. Yes. Uh, Very good. We'll get into that. Oh, but anyway, continue. Yeah. Sorry that that flew over my my plebeian brain. Uh, the the meteor plays with time. Uh, we have some fun stuff with that. We have like Nicolas Cage talking about like how he keeps smelling something horrible and burned. Yeah. But no one else does around him. I like to think too that like that that is the smell of the alpacas, and he's oh, smelling it out okay. of time. Like, and he's smelling that later on. Oh, that's an interesting, interesting idea. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that. Read as well. And there are a lot of things like that in the movie, I think, where you can make, like, these sort of abstract tie-ins with other moments in the film, including a lot of stuff that happens before the meteor lands, which there are some fun theories you can play in with that as well, and how the meteor didn't actually land then at that moment. 
and like it had been on the property for much longer or whatever else, you know, because it operates out of time, there are some fun things to play with there. I also like to think that like when Nicolas Cage and his wife leave, when they're on the phone and you're hearing those conversations, you're hearing Nicolas Cage like shouting and he's being broken up over the phone. On the other end of the phone, you see him being, being very passive. I want to bet that they took the audio of him freaking out in some of the other scenes oh, okay. and mixed it up. That could be interesting. Yeah, that, that's uh, an interesting idea. Yeah, so there's some neat stuff with time, but I have a question for you guys. Okay. Did you feel like the color of the meteor was a color out of space beyond description? Uh, uh, if you call magenta a uh, color out of yeah. space beyond I think, definition, uh, yeah, okay. I I think that uh, I would say <laughs> yeah. I would say Annihilation did that better. Yeah, by miles. Um, I think that there are times in the movie where it verges on doing it like, right when there sorry. is like the shifting of colors. Be, like I think that that works. I well. think it works fantastically with the ice cubes, for example. Yeah, whenever. We don't see reflected, it reflected, reflected in people's best. eyes, stuff like that. Well, yeah, I think that that we can say about the color in general is when we don't see it, the better it is. Yes, because some of my absolute least favorite stuff is in the movie is how they treat the color in terms of very specific effects. Right. When you see anytime you see the color directly, and there's so many cool shots of like it being played off of like people's glasses yes. and whatnot. And like All of I that remember stuff is cool. too during the the actor interview afterwards um how cage remarked on how impressive it was that the color keeps shifting so that you can't identify it as something and right. also how, how great of an idea that was and i just kept thinking like but it's magenta man like most of the like, time like, it's so much, but it's magenta and, and annihilation did it so much better yeah like, like i just i just hear that like moment in the score and see that wall of like rainbow bubble and <laughs> like that's like all i can picture you know or like like the all the the wacky like constantly shifting like pure palettes in mandy and again i went into this thinking it was directed by panos cosmatos that did like affect my expectation and another and what I saw another shot movie. i did like in regard to that though is like when we see the wide shot of the meteor falling at the beginning and it's got that kind of like corona around it that like you see around the sun in the far north in the deep winter i forget there's a technical term for that aurora uh, borealis no, no not aurora it's 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 That's during the of, daytime like, the atmosphere yeah, it's something it's something specific like around the sun. Mm. It's like ice crystals or whatever. Uh but that same kind of effect ar- around the meteor. I think it's it's cool because you know the meteor has like a, the the color has an area of effect. Mm. So it's like you can kind of see the the size of its area as it's descending in in the meteor, right? Yeah. Uh, I thought that was a cool touch. Agreed. I think if it had just been like blinding white at those key moments or 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 almost like like neutralized like into darkness because like a negative or light just, it, it would have it would work better because that's like all lights coming together or you just know, have or like it being removed or just have it actually shifting tones like they do in annihilation mm. or just do that you know and it's one of those things where I don't mind how unsubtle this movie is sometimes. Sometimes. On the other hand, you know, like part of the reason the dread of the story and the device in the movie work is because you don't understand the rules of it. Yeah. But you know, you can't escape it. Right. Um, and, and you know that, that, that it's rules are extremely nebulous and, and unpredictable. Even, even, you know, giving it a specific look 
yeah you know kind of detracts from that idea a little bit like you don't want to make it too subtle to the point where it's just like oh it's whatever we want it to be yeah but at the same time it doesn't have to be <laughs> a big scary magenta yeah well that's a good point let let's let's reference the the short story uh quickly before we get into the exact visual representations of the color in the movie in the short story you know the only time you ever really see the color is at the end when it erupts from the well and leaves the planet and everything else is not about the color itself it's about the effects that it has on the people and things surrounding it so it remains much more mysterious and subtle and kind of nebulous and i mean obviously you know a written medium is very different from a visual medium so you know you you it it requires a different form of storytelling Mm -hmm. But as much as I loved a lot of the the over-the-top horror stuff in this movie, and I think that specific scenes did it really well, I wanted a lot more restraint in the actual alien itself. Yeah, because I think one of the, the key like terms is like cosmic radiation. Right. It shouldn't be about the color itself being like a B-movie like monster. It's about the much more insidious, like, slowly radiating effect that it has. So, like, getting a sense of, like, just, like, of of being infected by, like, something almost molecular that you can't see or understand is much more horrifying, like, if it's paced out slowly and properly and it doesn't just start, like, blasting things and turning them into creatures. Right. Also, the the book, the infection takes place over the span of, like... Like a year. Like, if not more, yeah. It's much longer than just, like, four days. Yeah, it's slower and and it's, it's more cancerous. Exactly. Um, and and I I, that's scary. And also, like, just for me, I think I think we're a little spoiled because we just came off of, like, Chernobyl, which is one of the best, if not the best example I've seen of, like, capturing that very feeling yeah. of just, like, slowly becoming irradiated. Like, that that series, in, in all the best ways, much makes you want to take a shower afterwards. In that respect, I felt it some, but I, I feel, yeah, we could have felt it more. Well, I think when it works best is when you see... It really affecting things like meshing organic forms yeah. and matter. Once again, uh, the which, effects which of we will its talk about more, yeah. unless when uh, you know it's purple bug or inside out cat that provides jump scare for a second. Um, I, I agree. Yeah. I thought the cat was like cute, but again, it was just like like a CG creature. It, it's one of those things where I I kind of love having the cat but in the movie itself i thought the cg was kind of bad yeah and i'm glad that they didn't show it at the same time because if we saw more of how bad that effect I liked, was i would be yeah, i liked the more disappointed the praying mantis creature i did too because uh, that was a lot more quiet and it wasn't in, an immediate threat it was alien it i think it set the tone pretty well well I, you and know it small. does it, it exactly you know it I like the the pace that they take of of the changes happening, you know, from small to large. Like the first thing we see is like the strange flowers growing around the well, and then later the praying mantis crawls out of the well, and you know, then it starts to uh, you know affect larger and larger things. I liked that more subtle stuff. I think I think a good way to phrase that is I liked anything that was like CG or artificial that was made to look beautiful. Like, anything that was actually, like, supposed to be, like, desirable and pretty and, like, shimmering. The Mantis is, like, it, it's it's 
it's still insectoid like it's kind of horrifying but it's it's made to be all magenta and yeah and shimmery and still look kind of like a almost like a weird butterfly creature like it's supposed to be beautiful whereas like the cg monsters my issue is they it just it reminded me a lot of like the cg in the thing sequel yeah and that that's pretty notorious they for being how to not feel do it right. sci-fi original at times yeah and not in a good way agreed the mm. cat especially uh that one was probably the um, worst which is kind me. of a crying shame because like whenever they do practicals they're great they're which so they, good. Which, thankfully, they do quite a bit of. Yeah, there's yeah. tons of that. There's like, quite a bit of practical stuff. Like, overall, like, I, you know, like, I'm I'm largely forgivable of the special effects because, man, when it's on, it's fucking on. Like, yeah. Well, should I, we talk about one of those? Uh, specifically, I really want to talk about the, uh, the, the combination. Well, that's the most horrifying element of the yes. film as yeah. far as I'm concerned, uh, I think. Because um, I think it is the most successful piece of horror in the film. Yeah. Yeah, if not just one um, I've seen in general. Like, that really got to me. Like, honestly, like I, you know, like getting back home, just sort of like laying in bed and thinking about like how fucked that whole situation was, was, you know, like it, it, it legitimately disturbed me. Let's, explain it a little bit more. Well, um, uh, there's a sequence where there's a lot of concern about the alpaca in the barn. Everyone is at this point in the family has exhibited like how their mental state is being affected. The young boy, Jack, is uh, her son is like running into the barn or off to do something, you know, and he's sort of like possessed almost by the cre- the, the the effects of the color. Uh, she runs up to him and then there's a sort of like weird pink lightning effect that comes out, which doesn't look good. Bad. That's a, um, a terrible effect. Like, he, and th- th- that's the thing. Is like, anytime we see the color directly, like, it feels like a B, like it's Edward Disney. Movie. It's Disney Channel. Yeah, like, like that. It's weird, and it's not necessary at all. Just cut away. Agreed. That's what I'm saying. We don't have to see it. Like, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's worse. Like, I don't want to see like the this this cosmic entity. Like, if it's going to look like CG, if it's going like, like, like to look like not make it like look a scary, pink, like a pink laser beam. Yeah, uh, like it's a bad look. Like in every way, it's, and, it's literally just like the you y'all remember like the the Disney Channel bumpers where they like draw the Mickey Mouse logo with like the light <laughs> stick. That is what that effect looked Man, like. That's to pretty me. mean, but I I don't disagree. That like, that is and yeah. like that effect took me out of it the yeah. most. Well, but we are brought immediately back into it. What's funny about it is... It- yeah, even though it's Continue. so bad, like it, we are, we're immediately brought the into the outcome is so horrible. Yeah, one of the worst things I've seen in cinema, which is where the creatures we know is like is like trying to like fuse entities together. It's sort of like mixing and like conjoining time. The son Jack, who's like how old? Like nine? Like eight or eight nine, or nine? Yeah. Like gets in like a John Carpenter thing esque manner, like fused to his mom. And, like, we see it in gratuity. And, yeah. it, and, like, they bring them back into the house as, like, this, like, horrible creature. They haven't been, like, totally transmogrified. It's just, like, them, just him being, like, absorbed. And Constantly he's like, groaning in pain. It's and mostly he's, like, glowing under his face. That's an yeah. instance where I think the use of the color works really well. In, in the CG. Yeah, is, like, the, the sort of, like, glow from inside him. And you can, like, see his bones Right, and stuff. because it's yeah. made to enhance something that's already tangible. Yeah. Like, like beyond... Beyond that, I can, like, reach out and touch or be touched by this hideous creature. So, like, it it works. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, like, putting, like, a CG shimmer over it, you know, just makes it all the more terrifying and, and, and nebulous. Because I do love good CG in movies. But first, they're on the couch downstairs, and there's, like, the families just trying to talk and figure out, like, how they can help them and fix them or whatever. Because they're, they can get like, an hour away from the nearest hospital. Right. So the dad tries to start the car, etc. They move the mother and, and son, like, up into the attic uh, as well. And we get this, like, 
horrible moment where we see oh because like the the kid jake also has a dog which is important which we see disappear yeah um and then there's a moment where like they bring her water and she's like drinking out of it like a dog and it is god it's horrifying it's like some of the worst stuff the I've sound seen. design is like just, uh, yeah oh chilling as well oh yeah it's the worst because like their cries are like at times human and then they become like like bestial like it's it's fucked up, and it, it fucked me up a lot, too. I honestly, like, I, I I honestly was wish very that uncomfortable that had, watching that in the theater. I wish that that had been more of the movie, because I think in the grand scheme it's also of things, uh, more of the, the original story as well. Yeah, is, is like about what's happening to his family, like, mm-hmm. and he locks them up in the attic. That yeah. stuff is the most horrifying, effective part of the movie, too. I, yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't mind seeing more of that and I less use more of, that. of <laughs> everything else. Yeah, of the, the more extreme you stuff. Know. And the Disney Channel stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, it, it it legitimately fucked me up a little bit. Uh, I was I wasn't I wasn't ready for that at all, and and it does like break like one of those like those big rules that like a lot of horror tends to attend to, where it's like if there's a if there is like a kid's death, you don't see it it's on off screen. screen, yeah, and like that shit is very on screen. And I again, I didn't go into this movie like I went into this movie expecting like gratuity monsters or whatever, but it's on screen for so long, it's really disturbing. It's drawn and, like, out. I would like even horror fans, I would without spoiling it like attempt to warn people you know, of that it, going in. And it might just be because it's it has a shared location of the attic, but it gave me a lot of the same kind of vibes uh, as, like, the scene in The Witch when uh, Caleb comes back possessed or whatever, and they try to, like, pray over him in the attic when he dies. Oh, yeah, and they're it's, blaming Thomason. And, yeah, yeah, like, that, that whole scene where he's sort of, like, enthralled by, like, the devil. And it's probably is just because there's a visual similarity, because they're both in the attic and it has the arched ceiling with the 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 window in the back uh man you're about one of the best scenes acted out by a nine-year-old in the movie yeah, like oh, that Jesus that possession Christ. scene he he um, fucking nails it that whole speech is so good but anyway the, the movie at hand yeah i i really like the that that was part of the reason why i really liked that scene is because it it you know took me back to another movie that i really enjoyed yeah. well i think the other big practical effect that I thought worked really well was the alpaca. The alpaca flesh beast. Yeah. I want to talk about how this movie wears its other influences on its sleeve, uh, primarily John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, and again, that's where those, those the bad CG associations really, like, threw me off. Benny has a a, a pet dog, specifically like, an, uh, like a Malamute, like, wolf dog, which is the same breed of dog that is in the opening shot of the thing and plays such a large role, you know? Yeah. It uh, is the thing that goes into the, it, the yeah, dog. It pen is and, the thing yeah. of the thing, uh, and goes in the dog pen and we get the dog pens, the animal pen sequence in that film. And it's one of the most iconic the horror, for the first you know, time, because they yeah. had to go to court over it because like they thought that they were actually harming dogs. Uh, this film, you know, has a similar circumstance where there's a cosmic horror and, you know, it's like, it's, it's changing the things around it and, and making them into itself we have the same species of dog that goes off and goes missing into the family's like barn and into the animal pen and you can take it away from there we get you know a combination of alpacas and such a horrifying 
thing like manner mm-hmm. yeah um, where it's very evocative of the dog scene just all thing, fused yeah. into or, one yeah. massive writhing flesh beast, uh, flesh beast L- literally turned, the worst. turned inside out uh, yeah yeah it's very it's very gooey and it's a it's um, another it's another great like over the top scene from nick cage because he goes out there you know to see what's happening he's a shotgun and at that point he's like fully under the effects of the color and like losing his mind mind and so just like to see him just like screaming in rage and fear and as like, like they're also as screaming, they're also in rage screaming and fear. And blowing off all of the heads one by one and just being coated with blood uh well one part that i love about that too is it's such an escalation because when we're first introduced to the alpacas nicholas cage loves them and he cares yeah. about them he's constantly asking He's very like hipstery about them, which I love. He milks the alpacas in a specific scene, and then like drinks the milk and offers the. Yeah, you know, it it really reminded me of like like Luke with the blue milk. I was gonna say the same thing. The green milk in uh, uh, the Last Jedi. Yeah, Yeah. that whole that whole scene was such a Nick Cageism. Yeah, it's it's funny because it it feels like it paid off. (laughs) <laughs> ultimately with that uh you know escalation and him ending up you know shooting all the heads off of the alpacas in the end yeah it's such a turn dramatically and i think it works really well and i think the effect is really incredible too i think the alpacas oh yeah are i'm really glad yeah. they did that as a practical like it's mm-hmm. obviously like a large animatronic yeah. uh like puppetry uh, piece and it's all like low lighting you know like just like quick just like the thing. editing they, shots they do yeah. it right and again too like uh, i want to say like it is really well done and it's just it's done so similarly to the thing because it is like these animals all being fused together in like Cronenberg fashion in this animal pen. Yeah. And it's like, we also see that same wolf dog and I just, yeah, it it was weird to me, but also like, we, and we talked about this about this outside the theater too that like wearing like that sort of John Carpenter influence on your sleeve is interesting but also like the thing is based out of like Lovecraft's cosmic yeah. horror so it's a weird you know like oh, I think you you like jokingly said like time is a, time flat, is a flat circle, circle like yeah. after I said that like which like really sums it up I think um, but it is interesting to me to like to risk running that right now because John Carpenter did just sue and win a court case against another French studio that uh, made a film that was ridiculously close to Escape from New York. Color Out of Space isn't that close. Um, no, I don't No, think not so. at all. But I, I think it, it's worth... It falls, it's it falls interesting well... To think about. Color Out of Space falls well within the realm of homage. Yeah, but yeah. Like, the, well, well, the court case sets an interesting like, like precedent. I uh, wouldn't worry about this movie dealing with that whatsoever. No, no. I, you know, like, but, I, I don't get I, the feeling that John Carpenter is generally a litigious asshole. Yeah, no, exactly. no, that film he's was probably, probably like, very he's close. He's probably friends with Richard Stanley. Like, like, let's be real. Oh, honestly, almost yeah, definitely. I that. Yeah, there is definitely enough between the two, and like, I, I thought, I, I, I find it all very interesting. Um, and no, there's no way that like there's enough grounds for that. But it is just also a cool fact. Yeah, knowing that like he won that case like against against that French studio. Um, which has me curious to see the film. You know, to know like how similar see it how is much to of Escape a from New York. It, is. it must be. Um, I mean, it must have been pretty damn close to go to court and be able to win over it. Yeah, because you can make spiritual parody. Uh, yeah, parody you, you could just too, do Escape yeah. from Old York and like, <laughs> you know, pretty much get away. That sounds like a movie that I don't want to watch. Uh, what if What if it has Nicolas Cage and old timey clothes? 
Okay, I'm in. (laughs) Easy as that, right? One last big effect I'd like to talk about, and I think we can start bringing it to a close uh, relatively soon. After the alpacas, when Nick Cage is crazy and he goes to shove Lavinia back into the attic. uh, Yeah, and he says, go feed your mother, which is horrifying. Uh, Dear God. And then we then see that mother and son have fused into a spider creature, even more horrifying uh, leg beast, which is a really great callback or foreshadowed rather earlier in the film when uh nick cage and and uh and his wife are out on the porch and she you know she's feeling bad about herself she feels she feels tainted because of the cancer she feels unclean and you know he's trying to sort of uh like sweetly flirt with her to make her feel better about herself and he's like he's like i always was a leg man oh yikes (laughs) oh man i missed that one Woo. Well, see the thing, and then she too asks, many legs though. Yeah. She asks after that, she's like, "So would you still love me if I had my legs cut off?" And he's like, "Oh, he's like, oh yeah, I'd put you in my suitcase and like carry you around with me or whatever." Yes, yeah, like some more. So, so like I was thinking, like I thought that was a weird line, and I was like, "Well, I wonder." If she's probably later on, she's going to like get her legs cut off or something and it's going to be foreshadowing. And I was right about the foreshadowing but in the opposite effect, because then she becomes all legs. Yes. Um, the reason I wanted to bring up that scene is because I think that that is another example of uh, where the film does use the right amount of restraint. Yes. Especially in the way that, like you said, they shoot the alpaca scene where it's low light and there's lots of cutting. So it's like you don't have a lot of time to like really scrutinize the effects i think they do the same thing in that scene with the the leg the leg beast well because you you see you see very no, very the, little the, the shot the first shot you see it in is like this like really like weird angle like over the head shot yeah where it looks like like it's just like this top down view um which you don't get very often in films and like of it like come out of the shadows and like pounce on her yeah and i think and the it's, reason it's really, it looks like claymation like the way it moves like so like I, I think the reason it worked so well too is because we get so many close-ups of how gross it looks up close to the point where we know what it really looks like or we know what it looked in, like shortly enough before this yeah. that we can imagine yeah you fill in the gaps in your head right and you leave enough up for imagination that it really becomes horrifying. Oh, and leading into that too, like well before like she becomes like that horrible, like the the the, the she becomes this like super monster. When the family is consoling her, that the father comes back after killing the alpacas and with with the shotgun and tells the kids to leave. Oh yeah. And you think that he's going to, you know, like put her and Jack like out of their misery since they're this like they've become this like you know pain riddled abomination yeah and the kids leave and we get that that moment you know like in films you know where the 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 person is being zombified or whatever and like he sort of is talking to her even though she likely can't hear him puts the gun to her head yeah that whole bit we're so concerned and worried for him you know having to experience that sort of moment but but also like somewhat relieved that he's making like what is the right decision like right. they're in pain you need to end that and it's like we we know that there's no way you can get help for what for that for that yeah like, no there's, there's, there's no game's like, over uh and no no doctor is going to be able to fix that no, no and we see him put the gun to their head and then he pulls it back and he leans down and he speaks to her and then she he like 
kisses her on the mouth like as that like, oh yeah creature. oh no and oh, it was I like god about whoa that. like the whole thing like well, there's a, a guy behind us who was like super audible was just like oh no <laughs> like, <laughs> well yeah because he pulls back from the kiss and there's like strings of like slime yeah, between it's their so mouths nasty. It's i'd so forgotten nasty. about that already. i think um, i blocked that out yeah. that was like the most for me that was like the most revolting shot yeah in the movie. and then and then he does like the most horrifying thing he could do and that's he just leaves yeah and he doesn't kill her he's like and i'm gonna get so, you some help right and that is so much worse like and i i what a what a solid decision to make to have him not kill her there yeah. like because that's somehow more terrifying before we get into the the very ending which i you know we can just discuss generally we're gonna talk about tommy chong real quick um oh yeah let's talk about tommy yeah. chong real quick uh, oh before we do one uh <laughs> effect that i do want to quickly mention boom, 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 because uh it's just a side note but uh, at one point, uh, the mother is cutting up carrots. To oh, the very beginning. This is the first like, and, weird behavior yeah, that kind they of do. The inciting, one of the inciting instances where you know things are After wrong. After the meteor and, falls. And uh, she's cutting carrots, and she ends up chopping off some of her fingers. It was effective enough. Yeah. But I couldn't stop thinking of how we just saw the grudge like oh, two yeah, weeks ago same thing. and the exact, exact same, same thing, thing happened uh, and I couldn't separate that in my mind for a solid couple minutes in the theater I was like damn this is What's uh, up with that what a weird right coincidence yeah. yeah but anyways that's a sidetrack mm-hmm. uh, go on what uh yeah Tommy Chong Tommy, Tommy Chong yeah if I was just to be told that like Tommy Chong was going to make a cameo in a horror movie I would take the movie less seriously like going into it uh, i was glad i didn't know he was in the film it was more of a pleasant surprise because i love tommy chong like don't get me wrong but i did also, know he like, was in it going in and i was excited because it felt appropriate for a richard stanley movie excellent um uh because like the the most recent thing i remember him doing is like the weird yak character in like zootopia or whatever oh, and yeah. like i oh, yeah, i know right. like I, I haven't thought about like tommy chong in a long time and anytime i do it's it's funny you know like he's he's an yeah. extreme hilarious man and i i love him to bits but and he's basically uh, still playing himself in this movie oh absolutely he's an old hippie man off the property like yeah, it's great whole, and, an old hippie stoner and uh it's, it's just that he is the hippie stoner uh yeah. yeah it worked it worked really well and it was fun seeing him do like in in a film that is so steeped around like psychedelia in this case like psychedelic horror his whole bit is great i enjoyed how uh, we hear him over the the recordings and like his voice gets slowed oh, down. Oh, the way that the yeah the distortion in those recordings yeah. at the end was like, great. Turns out like if you like warp like Tommy Chong's voice, it's like absolutely it's creepy. horrifying. Yeah, it's really creepy. I, I, I'd love to listen to like Lovecraft books like like narrated really, by Tommy Chong, and that's really a really weird that. thing to say. Yeah, when uh, when Ward I think was his name the the, and, yeah, the Ward hydrologist. And the yeah, go back go back to the property at the end and they, they go check on Tommy Chong and his little cabin and he's sort of, um, well, because earlier he had a, he had a tape machine and he's, you know, (laughs) recording the sounds underneath the floorboards. And he says something like really foreshadowy to Ward also, uh, because Ward is like, yeah, I'm going to go out and look for your cat. And he's like, yeah, man, well, when you see her, she's uh, you, you probably know, won't, won't recognize her. her. And yeah. I was just like, that's a, you know, like it, it, it's clearly like the meteor affecting him and making right. him say plot related things. But it's still him saying a plot related thing. And that was kind of weird. Yeah. To me. I mean, he was a bit expositioning saying, you know, it's in the static, man. It's in yep. the air. Also a cliche. Yeah. time. And he kind of literally said what was going on. Yeah. Which and I it's mean, like, oh, the, oh, the old crazy you know, guy's right is like, like a pretty like strong. 
forgive it more because it's a hippy dippy type of and also it's at the very end like the the tape recording bit where he kind of gives his expositionary thing yeah i mean he gives a little bit of it a little a little bit Mm -hmm. but not like super heavy like the the main chunk of exposition was like it came from the stars it's a color out of space we on the tape recording well yeah and also it's like right at the very end so it's like we've already seen all of this shit so it doesn't feel so much like exposition no there it's a great time expansion yeah in that in that spot it's a great time to get like your roll credits like moment where he's like all where we see his the film he's petrified and like the 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 color kind of like comes out of his head as like his face caves in i thought that was a pretty cool effect yeah it's super spooky and fun um but but no like early on he he does sort of say some like hippy dippy stuff about like 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 aliens and shit uh that is what's going on oh yeah sure Um, but but he's an old hippie old hippie dippy yes uh and and again too like like just like the, the kid jack like while it is a cliche like i didn't mind it i thought it was still fun and it was well enough executed um and again it's tommy chong like I'm, i'm gonna love it regardless right but uh uh, as they're leaving, um, uh, Ward and the sheriff, the sheriff gets pulled up into the tree and, like, attacked by branches, Evil Dead style. Yeah, that which, was interesting. Yeah. yeah I, would, I thought it was fun. It's quick, and then it, it was moves quick, on. and it was not, like, the CG wasn't in your face enough to be too bothered. It wasn't so just because it was so short, CG, but it was, yeah. like, CG branches wrapping yeah. around him. Well, I yes. was a little, like, yeah, about it. I think it quick enough I think I would have rather just ha- seeing him pulled up into the branches and leaving it at that without him shining the light up there and seeing the... I think that would have been spookier. Yeah. Or but, having that shot of him, like, getting wrapped, like, even shorter yeah. and darker. Anyway, I'm going to breeze over the very ending pretty quickly just because, you know, it's it's sort of like a culmination of all of the events. And it's a big – it's literally a big CG tornado, uh, which I don't think looks looks terrible. I like the, the effects that they do on, like, the people where, like, Ward is, like, trying to get into the house and he's leaving, like, this kind of, like, after image behind. Oh, yeah, that looked great. I think those psychedelic things are, are pretty fucking cool. Any of the stuff that's, like, out, off the side, like, in the weird moving trees and stuff, yeah. that all looks amazing. There, there was a lot of that like, stuff whoa, that reminded that me so of, good. like, I wanted the, more of it. some of the hallucinogenic stuff in, like, Midsommar, similar kind of effects. <laughs> I thought that was really good. The big pink tornado that comes out of the well is... Uh, not as egregious as some of the other Disney Channel. It's for like shit, early two thousands, like action horror. At that point, they slap enough like filters and effects over it that it's like everything is just kind of like a visual mess. So I don't care. It feels as, more in the world because yeah, yeah, I don't everywhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in that in that situation, it doesn't bother me as much. Same. But you know, Ward manages to make his way into the basement, and everything explodes, and then you know he crawls out of the and I do think that that's worth mentioning. The white ash everywhere? Yeah, well, and also because they just straight up desaturate the film almost to uh, black and white. Like, it, the saturation well, is just like... one thing we, we should mention before that, you get that whole sequence where you kind of see the world of the color. Oh, oh yeah. And the family is all there. Like, oh, know. yeah, where, like, he sees it in, like, the, the shape that she's carved, mm-hmm. that Lavinia has carved into her forehead. I think I could have done without that. Oh, yeah. No, I was I actually about to say it, I loved it. I thought it, it kind of looked cool, Like, the, that CG that sequence world. where we see, like, the, the alien astral plane, I thought that was very, like, Dreams in the Witch House, very, like, 
like dreamscapes. Yeah, I guess that's true. And like it's a it's a cool way to to tie in like other elements fun. of Lovecraft's yeah. work with like the dream worlds and getting to see like some of those like like those weird constructs and uh, I and, I thought it was fun. The CGI that's didn't fair. bother me too much because it was so abstract and otherworldly. Uh, that like it really felt like an alien planet, and I thought it was pretty well. Done. I did think is I did think it was fun that like she has a copy of the Necronomicon because it's Lovecraft, so of course you have to, and she looks to it for like help and like carves all of these symbols in her the flesh, runes of protection, and it, which do seem to protect her. Oh, I think for it, a large I portion of the it, film, I think it exacerbates the like all of the 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 shit that's going on. I read it as she made it worse. Does she does she carve the ruins before or after she becomes physically ill and vomit? After, after she well, after, okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, she we see her multiple times like doing little rituals to ask for protection, mm-hmm. but it's only when she gets desperate that she opens the Necronomicon and starts like carving the runes of protection or whatever in her skin, and like that's when we see like the alien planet is when Ward runs into her and like that sort of yeah, like construct sort of like... is like it it's the shape of the the rune on her forehead. Mm-hmm. So I well, but that's after she's been like blasted with blood. Like from the creature, like she's been taken direct contact. Yeah, from for it, sure, for sure. You know? Also, but I mean, the the whole rune carving thing, I I just got as like a, a means of escalating the. It, it, like she does it to protect herself, but it seems like it makes things worse. So I kind of liked that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we're we're running pretty long, so let's. I I do want to wrap up here. Uh, the 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 desaturation effect is pretty cool, especially because when they like do the overhead shot and they pull out and you see like the ring of white and then the color comes in around it so it's like the color it literally sucked the color out of everything which is in the story in the book yeah yeah which is pretty cool glad i like to see that uh you know and then we get ward and old man makeup you know looking out over the valley from the top of the day it's just enough and, i didn't have a problem with the makeup yeah it's no, it's fine, and you know, it's, it's bookended yeah. with more of the you know the the stuff from the actual Lovecraft story. Loved that, um, yeah. So that's the end of the movie. What I want to ask you guys, get your opinions on, is this: when he was writing this story, Lovecraft's goal was to create an entity that was truly alien because he was frustrated by the humanoid depictions of aliens and other literature. So it was kind of an exercise for him to create something that is totally inscrutable, that does not abide by any logic that we can recognize. And I think that in the story, I think he succeeds quite well. And Richard Stanley is obviously has a love of the source material and tried to be faithful to the story. I want to ask you guys, do y'all think that Richard Stanley accomplishes in this film what Lovecraft wanted to accomplish in his story? I think he screwed the inscrutable a little too much. Um, I think, like I said earlier, I, I think that when when we see like the tendrils of the color and it's just like pure magenta and it looks like, like you said, like Disney Channel, like kind of CG, yeah. it makes it feel like a B-movie monster. Mm-hmm. And that is the exact opposite thing you would want. But uh, I, that that's really it sounds more hyperbolic than than I mean it to, because like when when it does, well, I think at times thing, like, it does capture that I, like I think- extremely well. When the movie works, it's when that lines up with things like 
the mother sun spider creature yeah or the alpaca flesh beast that stuff works because it's a new not, name for my new band it's alpaca not just flesh beast spooky alien looking version of something we know right mm. or literal purple monster uh it's more esoteric than that and something different when it doesn't work it's it's very literal connection to aliens what, yeah, what, I think the pacing was also sort of problematic because, like, in the original story, like, it seeps in over the course of, you know, months and months. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, his his crops bear fruit, but there's more, you know, et cetera, which we do see, like, some weird stuff with crops. But um, with the uh, tomatoes. Is this taking place over the course of a couple days, like, I felt like just matters escalated too quickly. I kind of and agree. Yeah. I, I think it would have been much more effective if we'd had just a few more, like, moments where we could have sat in the film. Film, you know like in this world and just had like holding on like small shots of the branches moving like in the the in, the the intro does that extremely well and i would have liked some more of that apart from it just being a bookend moment like if i could have just like seen some more like of how nature is affected you know quietly in the background not a lot of cg just like some color filters and just some trees shots of water some slower moments, I would have appreciated that. I would have just felt a little bit more like time was passing well, more to slowly one, and gradually. To once again cite The Witch, you know, the, the events of that film take place over the course of months. You know, there, it's sort of like the insidious effects of the curse creeping in over time. And you, you feel know? it. And they use and those do, types of right. shots to, and I to think I, I would bring have, out that time. I would have liked something more like that in this movie. I do think that it feels a little bit truncated. Like, obviously, the color plays with time like you brought up earlier cleave but it's still the movie still feels like it's over the course of like a week what i would posit and i want to know if you guys would agree with this is that i think that conceptually and thematically richard stanley does a really good job of creating something that feels really alien like the way that it interacts with the family and the way that it affects them and stuff like that in the script yes that feels that feels very inscrutable yeah. and in their acting as well but credit to the so i think that in that sense he he did a good job of capturing the idea of the alien but i think that visually it it fails mm-hmm. in a lot of ways well okay one counterpoint to that which i i i don't know how i feel at this point i want to hear your guys's takes on it is sometimes they really lean into the idea that it's spread by the water the main character um, being a hydrologist Right. Well, I mean, it's is kind of the same in in the story. In the story, the meteor lands in the well, right? Well, no, it lands in the yard, but we see that it has sunk down into Mm -hmm. the. Oh, sorry, did I say in in, the movie? I mean, in the book. In the book, Uh, well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Yes, to both. Oh, it lands outside of the well, but we see that it it stays hot and so it it seep you know it it burns its way down and it ends up in the aquifer under the well so like it is in the groundwater mm-hmm. um it's in the but, water man it's in the water uh but yeah to, to your um, point ben well i i i was wondering if it felt too specific in terms of the how for you guys um because they they really emphasize that with ice cubes and water being sipped on and then uh when it works it's it's the stuff with the static and how it's more esoteric than that i think you're on a good point 
with that. And uh, before I, I make a suggestion for how the film could have done it differently, I recognize that this this suggestion done poorly would feel like a 90s monster movie. But I think there being a small threat or concern given to the viewer about the not necessarily by a character, but just by like visual storytelling or how whatever means of the the effects of the color getting into the external water supply and affecting more than the area. The idea of like it's spreading out, it affecting like a large groundwater system. You know what the water thing kind of reminded what me of? What I think spooked me out a little bit more. Uh, in this movie is uh, Cabin Fever. Oh, yeah, a little bit. You know, a sickness spread by the water supply, and especially with the end, him standing over the, the, the dam, dam. Yeah. Uh, you know, looking at the water. You're right. It's like the, the disease is spreading, and which I don't mind. I think it works well. The, the one thing about it, though, is it almost directly says how to an unknowable sense of Well, fear. I think it, it's neat. It, the, the, the subversion is it is only a way. Like with the film, we start out thinking the water is how they're, they they get infected at all, and we have like several points where like like Nick Cage is in the shower and like he starts to go crazy afterwards. Yeah, and it affects his arms. We see all these direct tie-ins with the water and how it's affecting them. But at like the culmination, we see that it affects everything in all sorts of ways, and that like the subversion there being like, oh hey, it's not just the water. This thing is way more powerful than that, and that's sort of the the fear moment. The way I read it is that like we know that the the color has a a sort of area of effect like we've mentioned it has a radius yeah. it's like the mom and son um, don't get attacked by the you know like they, they just get screwed over like they they in no way like interacted with water well like, and I they mean, get it the worst everybody everybody well yeah i mean they just get straight up zapped yeah. but by on screen we don't we don't see them interact with water sure anyway. right right exactly uh but my my point is that like i think the emphasis of the water is the threat of the effects of this thing spreading outside of its radius. Yeah, I, I think it works. I as think it, it feels an like an element of the dread. Yeah, it feels um, like it affects everything that's within its space, but because it's in the water, that the water can then carry the infection, you know, beyond that. That's beyond one thing. Yeah, I was just grappling with a little bit whether it explained too much or not. Because I feel I like, think so. in a way, it definitely adds to the dread. Mm -hmm. But uh, I was a little wary of how specific it felt at times to how it spreads. Yeah, because like we see um, it like spread over the TV and the radio as well. Like we see that it's like definitely like taking like consciousness within the electronics. We see that it definitely affects that. Yeah. One last thing I want to <laughs> talk about before we wrap up here is I wanted to quickly mention the the soundtrack was done by Colin. Yeah, Stetson, we didn't mention but that at it all. Really doesn't feel like a Colin Stetson soundtrack. I think in a lot of great ways. All that much. Um, uh, I liked his. I liked his reliance on. I was like, wishing for more sax personally. I think you get. We get sax at a few key moments that I really liked, but I'm kind of with you. I wish it was a little bit. Yeah. Because when I saw that, I, I didn't. I didn't realize that he was doing the score on this, or I had forgotten. And when I saw his name in the credits, I'm like, okay, oh, cool, that's perfect. He does like really weird, like freeform well, sax stuff, which is like perfect for the themes of this story and the sort of unpredictability and weirdness of it and i i see where you're coming from yeah because well, he also uh, does hereditary which is about like the, a family dynamic which is a and so, like, fantastic that tension. but very colin stetson soundtrack yeah and uh also recently he did a soundtrack for the adult swim uh uzumaki show the genji ito show and that's also Ooh, very colin stetson yes. 
So it was weird seeing it so distant from what he's known for. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, well, I think that I was like wishing for those more of his signature. Those stuff. like sax like like strange soundscapes that he makes are very organic and very earthy. And I think that what the sounds that he was trying to capture in this were very like inorganic and astral and almost artificial feeling like the alien, like that magenta light is very like neon. It's it's very artificial and and almost plasticky in like a in in a cool way, in a way I like. But that style of music, like he play it's played up a little bit more like during the the more like family organic moments. But whenever we get the meteor, like the sound dilates and it becomes like synthetic. Um, and I thought that that worked really well. I, I thought it was rad. I liked the score well enough. I, I'm i kind of with you, though, Ben. I would have liked a few more. I think I would have enjoyed a few more Colin Stetsonisms. But I think as it stands, like, it's it's a very it's a very good score for what it yeah. is. It, it definitely wasn't the forefront of the yeah. movie for me. You know, it blended in to the point where I didn't notice it a lot of the time, which, you know, if you ask some people, that's how you do a score correctly. Personally, I like flourishes yes, at times. I do too. But yeah. do uh, too. that's definitely not the soundtrack. But right. overall, uh, let's just jump into ratings. Yeah, why don't you go first? Sure, uh, I think, uh, you know, this movie is really solid. It's very much a Richard Stanley movie. If you've seen his other movies, you'll know it has his fingerprints all over it, um, but not in a bad way. I think Nicolas Cage gives a really fun performance. Um, all the acting across the board is really great. It's a very you know successful ad- adaptation of Lovecraft. Um, there's moments where it doesn't work, where it's a little too direct and it shows a little too much. Um, but overall, it's a pretty decent movie. I would definitely recommend it. Um, it's funny, uh, in the Q&A afterwards, Stanley mentioned that he was really influenced by Dario Argento, um, which you can definitely see with all the use of color, yeah, which is sure. awesome in this movie, you know, besides the, the, the magenta stuff we talked about. But overall, you know, this movie is a solid four out of five for me. It's It's worth checking out. Uh, largely going to ditto that. I think this was, movie was primed to be a five out of five for me because of all those great things. But turning your monster into like a, a B movie, like weird, like CG tendril thing, like re- that that's going to lose a star from me. So f- uh, four out of five. But man, the, those four stars are really strong for sure. What I loved, I adored about this film. Yeah, I'm. I'm. And it with really you. did disturb me. I'm with you. I I really went into this expecting it to be like a five for me. Uh, it was primed in every way. Uh, to do that and in that sense it did let me down a little bit but uh, I still really enjoyed most of the things about this movie and I think that it is a really triumphant return for Richard Stanley and I hope that uh, I hope we get more. I hope his Lovecraft trilogy happens. Same. I would love to see his adaptation of the Dunwich Horror. I don't know uh, what he, what the third one would be. Um, I think he's got a lot of great ones to choose from. So overall, yeah, I think it's a really a really strong movie. Great performances. Uh, the practicals are great. I thought the cinematography was excellent. Uh, good music, some questionable CG choices, and some questionable design decisions at times. Uh, but yeah, I'm also going to give it a four out of five. So that'll be unanimous uh, four out of five pods for Color Out of Space. Yeah, such uh, a bummer. I think just like like some some 
Yeah, really on the on the on the cutting room floor, the, this could have been a five out of five. Yeah, I, honestly, I think most of my problems with it could be fixed in editing. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think any of it re- would require reshoots. Kind of kind of breaks my heart a little bit, honestly. Uh, like you know, like this is this was very close to a, a five a out of five. It's a two hour movie, right? It's yeah, about two hours. Yeah, almost exactly um, two hours. Uh, if it was a ninety minute movie, maybe or even know. or even like an hour forty. I mm-hmm. think you know, mm-hmm. there's like fifteen twenty minutes of shit that you could cut out of it and make it uh, a little bit mm-hmm. tighter, a yeah. little bit. Cleaner. Or just replaces fifteen minutes with slow stuff. But you know, like like I said, I'm just excited for Richard Stanley to be back. I hope that this is not his uh him just doing something and disappearing for fifteen years again. Yeah, like, definitely like all the best to the cast. Bring and bring and, bring this yeah. man uh bring this man back into the limelight. Uh all right, well that should bring us to the end of this episode. Uh we've gone pretty long, so we'll just wrap up quickly and call it an evening. Yeah, uh this episode is sponsored by existentialism. Yeah, it's a good thing to be sponsored by. Uh, Ponder your tiny place in the universe. Yep. Uh, never forget, stay humble. <laughs> uh, well, if you like the show, you can uh, leave us a five-star rating and a nice review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at PodPeoplePod and also at Letterboxd.com slash PodPeoplePod for a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to the corresponding episodes. You can find me on Twitter at DeepStateOzzy. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. I'm occasionally tweeting for Light Arc Studio as we continue to work on our game. It stares back. Go check it out. It's available good. in early access on Steam. I'm, I'm sorry I shouted. It's quite nice. Please, please go check it out anyway. Don't, don't, don't get mad at me, please. And right. you can join our Light Arc Studio Discord uh, via our Twitter or LightArcStudio.com. And if you just want to see some cool paintings and stuff that I'm working on, you can check out my art station as well. Just search Cleveland Mosier. All right. Well, thank you, uh, as always, for listening. Oh, next week, uh, Gretel and Hansel coming yes. out with the Oz Perkins film. Ooh, I'm That's excited what we'll about be that talking one. about. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, in preparation, go back and listen to our episode on The Black Coat's Daughter. I'm sure we'll be referencing it heavily. Yes. Uh, so until next time, don't drink the water. Ooh. And if a meteorite lands in your backyard, maybe consider moving.